You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker, we have Daniel Faber, CEO and co-founder at OrbitFab. And in this episode, just like in the previous one, we will talk about space fields, how to raise money in this very capital intense field and how this is done during the pandemic time. So Daniel, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on OrbitFab. Yeah, hi, great to be here, thanks. Um, a bit of background about myself. Well, decided uh, 25 years ago when I was uh, growing up in Australia and doing university that we should get humans off this rock, create permanent jobs in space. That's the uh, the best way to address a bunch of existential risks and was probably going to be an interesting career. So uh, so that's what I spent the last 25 years doing. Uh, built a bunch of satellites uh, on the engineering side and then started building companies. So OrbitFab is my fourth startup company. We're building gas stations in space, a propellant supply chain for satellites so that we can stop throwing them away when they run out of fuel. Nice. That sounds really exciting and really interesting. Uh, gas stations in the space. That's, that's really cool. So um, can you tell us a little more about the previous companies? So you mentioned that you've done four, you were at four other companies before. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So my first company was doing instrumentation for the mining industry. We are actually throwing gamma rays at rocks and watching or throwing neutrons at rocks and watching the gamma rays come back, a process called prompt gamma neutron activation analysis. And uh, we built that for uh, for terrestrial mining companies so that they could get fast assays of their rocks, find out the elemental composition of them while they were mining them rather than having to wait a couple of weeks for results to come back from a lab. So that uh, that was interesting. Uh, unfortunately, ran into the global financial crisis and the money in the world dried up, uh, which became very difficult to continue that. Um, after that, I, uh, I looked at a few things. We did a high-speed internet for Antarctica, built the first KA band transponders for CubeSats and NanoSats. Uh, that's been commercialized in a couple of Californian companies now. And then uh, after that, Deep Space Industries, where we had the big, hairy, audacious goal of, of asteroid mining. But the actual products that we were building were small thrusters to move satellites around in orbit that ran on water, basically souped up steam kettles where we would push superheated steam out one side to, to get some uh, acceleration in the other direction. And that did fairly well with those small products. We had a whole line of products under development. Uh, it ended up uh, getting acquired by Bradford Space out of uh, the Netherlands about a year or so after I had left. Um, but when I left uh, OrbitFab, I, I looked at that problem and said, you know, People are, are struggling to build these thrusters into their spacecraft because you know, they're very cheap, but they're lower fuel efficiency. And so you needed a lot of fuel. And that led people to look at more expensive thrusters that were more fuel efficient, decided that there had to be a better way to, to solve that problem. So if we can provide the fuel in, in orbit, then people can use lower cost thrusters and refuel when they when they want. So we talked to a lot of potential customers about that and found out that, yeah, there was there was actually demand. Uh, people would buy a propellant in orbit if we could get it to them and make it available. And, and so that's why we went down the path and uh, and built OrbitFab. Nice. That sounds really exciting. A lot of words you, you've just said I have never heard in my life. So we'll not get into the technical details. So did, 
neither I nor our listeners get confused by the space tech <laughs> words. <laughs> um, no, let's let's get back to the more common stuff, more st- stuff that we're using as you know people working in SaaS businesses and B two B. You know the normal the normal industries. Um, and question for you, actually, if someone is willing to join the tech space, which I've seen a lot recently after the huge success of SpaceX and companies like that. How much? How many years should a, uh, should founders spend in this space before he or she can be like, okay, yeah, I understand the space. I have a lot of connections to go to to actually interview them, like you did with Orbitfab. So when you spoke to those, you know, potential customers, I assume that was your network, your existing network, right? The number of years you should spend in a field before you start a company, as many as possible, but not necessarily any. If you have the right ability to network the right approach, um, you know, professional demeanor and, and the like, and you're trying to solve a problem that is real, people will respond to that. So I jumped into my first startup in the mining industry, having no knowledge about mining, and it was using some nuclear physics toolkit, and I had no understanding of nuclear physics. So I taught myself everything on the fly with that. <laughs> and, uh, and we would drive out to mine sites you know, we'd spend 12 hours driving to a mine just to, to get an hour or two meeting with people who were there, uh, which, of course, they responded to great. They, they loved that we were out there. Few people did that. We were sort of literally went the extra mile. Um, <laughs> when we look at OrbitFab, we got into a National Science Foundation uh, SBIR, Small Business Innovative Research Program. And, uh, and that's um, some money to, to start doing uh, development of the technology, but mostly... Uh, it's around figuring out if there's a market. They actually, National Science Foundation and, the, and every government agency in the US, I think, has a, an SBIR program. Um, they're looking to create commercial success uh, out of the kinds of research and products that they're interested in uh, and you know, technologies that they've developed. And so we went through a program called ICORE, Innovation Core, there, which had us call 100 stakeholders in the industry to ask them what they thought of our product. And actually, in advance of that, we'd called 50. So we called 150 stakeholders to, to talk about uh, our satellite propellant, our fueling ports, and our uh, rendezvous docking interface. And it was really those conversations that told us you know, why, why people wanted to buy a product, what people wanted to buy, whether it was even a, a useful product, all those kinds of things. And to do that, you end up with a tempo. We had to have you know four or five calls a day with different customers and stakeholders and asking very open-ended questions around, you know, what their biggest problems were, where they were trying to get to, where they saw the competition evolving, what they thought Mm -hmm. the biggest problems in the future would be, and eventually nailing down as to what an actual solution might look like that would be sufficiently useful that they would pay for it. So more important than time in the business is talking to a huge number of people. And you can get people to talk to you surprisingly easily if if you've got uh, something uh, worth talking about. Right. Can you actually give me an example? That's that's one of the topics that founders sometimes struggle, get customers or potential customers on the call just to hear their feedback, not even trying to sell them the product necessarily, but just to understand what their pain is, uh, how can they solve it, et cetera, et cetera. So how did you personally manage to do that? Were you just saying like, hey, here's what we're thinking of doing. Would you mind spending you know, 30 minutes of your time just to help us? Or was there like some other incentive that you would give the potential customer or 
No, that's absolutely right. And it's a numbers game. So you can use LinkedIn, um, you know, find out companies that you think might be the customers and go talk to people there, the CEO, the CFO, the CTO, the engineers, the technicians, right? All the way up and down the line. Um, they're business development people. It doesn't have to be, um, in fact, you don't want it to be targeted at just business development or just procurement or whatever. You want to talk to everybody because that's how you find out what's going to happen. So one company has you know, 20, 30 people you can try and talk to. Um, and then you go and try and talk to as many as possible and just do that with a, with a tempo, right? If you're expecting to get five calls a day, you need to be sending out 20 or 25 introductions if your hit rate is, is 20 or 25%, right? If your hit rate is, is 80%, you need to send out less, less and you can calibrate over time. Um, what the hit rate is, and it'll depend on the industry you're in, um, your reputation, everything else, uh, and you may find that those percentages change, and therefore you can you can change the aggressiveness with which you uh, you're going out talking to people. Uh, another good way is to get advisors who are um, well connected in the field who can then help provide those introductions. And you know, given that you want to talk to a hundred or more stakeholders, you want more than one advisor in different sub-segments and positions within the industry. And having those advisors is invaluable, not just for the connections, of course, they uh, they can help you interpret what you're hearing too. Mm-hmm. And, and they may be willing to sit in on the calls, especially if you, you know, give them some equity or, or something like that to incentivize them. Um, you know, they, they may sit in on the calls with you, they may ask the right questions, they may tell you what those questions meant and why they asked them later. Uh, you'll learn a lot by doing that. Absolutely, good point, good point. Uh, so, so speaking of- Something else to add to that, uh, which is a little difficult today, but hopefully in, in six months or more will be a lot easier. Conferences are a great place to buttonhole people and ask the questions mm-hmm. because they're walking around looking for something to talk about, looking <laughs> for somebody to talk to. And you can just go to a trade, uh, the trade floor at a conference and talk to the first 50 people that you see. Right. That's Which actually very accurate. The conferences, that's, that's just a great place to build your network, to find new people and to talk to those people uh, because that's very true on conferences sometimes people are just wandering around having nothing to do and they would be happy to talk to you so <laughs> great advice for the post-pandemic world so get get ready for this stuff maybe research some conferences that are coming up and yeah have fun there um so let's move on uh and talk about the major topic of this podcast which is fundraising so uh first question is how much have you raised for orbit fab uh, Orbit Fab, we've got about six million in so far, mix of uh, investor money and some government money as well. Nice. Can you tell us how you got both of those? So both the government and the investor. By the way, I forgot one part. Are you based in the United States or the United Kingdom? We're in Silicon Valley, United States. Nice. nice. All right. So tell us then about more about the government. How did you manage to get the money from the government of the United States? We wrote proposals. <laughs> the um, the SBIR program that I mentioned before, the Small Business Innovative Research Program, is a great place to start if they happen to have topics that align with what you want to do. Don't. My advice is not to apply to a topic just because there's money. Don't apply to something that is not um, very closely aligned with what you need to accomplish to to achieve your vision as a startup. And, and be very clear about that because you can waste a lot of time getting pulled around by uh, SBIR projects that while they may pay the bills right now, they are effectively a waste of time if you're developing something you won't use later. 
And so we were lucky in that some of those things lined up. Um, the second thing to do is to call the program managers for all the different topics and subtopics of, uh, of the SBIR that might be of interest. And they're, they're generally published. And you can talk to those subtopic managers about what they're looking for exactly and find out whether what you're planning is lined up with some of the topics. Uh, and also, if they get interested in what you're doing, they may add your um, technology to the, the upcoming subtopics. Uh, some of them are more open-ended, uh, definitely Air Force, AFWorks and the like have open-ended topics. And what you need there are users within the Air Force who have some interest in it. And so again, conferences, network, by hook or by crook, find the people in the organizations who might be customers, and then they can use the SBIR program. They can support your proposals on that uh, to get the development done uh, in your company. So, so that's a, a great way to go after that government money. And that was that was primarily what we did. Mm -hmm. How about the standard, you know, VC slash angel investor path? How how do you approach those this kind of investor? Because space field, it's very capital intense field. It's also somewhat slow. It requires a lot of development, preparation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, how do you manage to sell this idea of you know, uh, basically guests in the space? We started by talking to customers, right? It goes back to those conversations we had. And even before we decided that we were going to, to build OrbitFab and go all in on it, we spent six months um, talking to customers and trying to just understand whether it was worth doing. Like, could we put together a basic spreadsheet that said we could make money off this? And what we heard from customers was extremely encouraging. And we ended up using a lot of those quotes when we first went out to talk to investors. And in our pitch deck, I had seven or eight customer quotes saying, basically, we would pay the prices you're talking about. In fact, we would pay two or three times that. Um, you know, this, would, this would make a huge difference to our business because of X, Y, Z. You know, these, these kind of customer quotes, which you know, investors don't know the market any better than you do. You know, they, they, they know far less about it. So oh, yeah. they rely on your customers, your competitors, others in, in your sector to give them a, and their own experience, to give them some feel for whether what you're doing is worth it. And that's what you've got to sell to them. So when we then formed the company, uh, the day after we went to, into the office of a VC who I'd met at, um, at a party of one of their portfolio companies who happened to know the CEO um, and got invited to that party and met met the, uh, this VC there who had backed that company. Uh, and so he said, yeah, come in, come in on the, the 3rd of January. So we did and uh, had a meeting um, and that kicked off a conversation. It took six months, five or six months to close that. Uh, it's a conversation, it's a relationship you're building. You need to keep in touch with them constantly. Uh, you need to never stop at one. I think we talked to 100 or 150 of VCs, angel investors and the like before we got that check into the bank. Uh, for, nice. for and that was our pre-seed round. For our seed round, we talked to about two hundred and fifty investors. Nice. So you know, it's a numbers game. It's a relationship game. It takes time. It's sort of assume a minimum of six months. As seed round investors, we've been talking with them and known them for years. And what you have to do is just realize that you're always going to be raising money. And even if you think that hey, in two years' time, I'll have raised a Series A and a Series B, and we'll be looking for checks in the in the tens of millions of dollars, so these angel investors aren't going to be worth much to me then. 
even so keep the relationships going because they will become your supporters even if they uh, if your your rounds you're raising are too big for them to invest in it but what also typically happens is that you know fundraising takes a little longer you're always looking for a uh, a bit of money to bridge or or something else like that and so there's relationships you build with angel investors and pre-seed VCs and seed stage VCs they're still extremely useful even if they haven't invested so Keep in touch with everybody. Set up some little systems where you send them out updates to, to an email list or something uh, and just invite conversations and realize that you have to understand the VC and the investor's business model and you're selling to them the opportunity to invest in the company. That's a product. Sell it like a product. Market it like a product. Understand mm -hmm. your customers who are for that product, if you like. Um, you have to do that as well as you do for... Uh, your your main customers in your main products. And that way you get inside the head of the VCs, it's much easier to have a conversation about why they should invest. Mm -hmm. Right, really good advice and really helpful. So uh, as I mentioned already in this episode, like five times that you know, space field is very capital intensive. It's very hard. Some regulations uh, and multiple other issues that are on your way to success there you know, I'm not a founder in that space. So could you tell us what do you think is the major obstacle that you personally see in that space? The biggest thing holding back the space industry is a lack of demand. There are only two exports from space, telecommunications and remote sensing. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of government work as well, but there's only really two commercial markets. And that holds back the industry. So everybody's, everybody's trying to provide those services more efficiently and, uh, and things like that. What really excites me is that there are a bunch of opportunities for new markets, tourism, um, in-space entertainment content. I love that uh, Tom Cruise wants to shoot a movie on the space station, for example. <laughs> in-space manufacturing, and I'm talking here about things that can be exported to Earth. And then um, you know, the, possibly even mining. Possibly we'll, we'll start returning material that's mined, uh, that that would also be quite valuable. Right. Yes, that does make sense. Um, what about the investors? So when you talk to investors and when you have to, you know, answer the major, not the major, of course, question, but uh, a pretty good and reasonable question, how are you planning to make money? How do you explain that to them? So, you know, how do you go about making money? <laughs> the most important thing for the investors especially at the early stage, is how impressive your team is, that the team can work well together, and that you have a big market opportunity. The third thing is that you have a good product to solve that problem and, uh, and that you can make money with it. But if you're solving a, a really big problem in a really big market and you have a team that can execute, you're a slam dunk. You'll figure out a business model. So you have to show that you've thought about it. You have to show that you know, there's some potential to get a business model here. But don't emphasize that, especially at the early stage. Your biggest thing is, in order, your team, the market opportunity of the problem that you're selling, and then third, your product. Great. Perfect answer to a question about the space field. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I already asked a question about how should founders from other spaces, I mean, from other fields get into the space field. And your answer was good to sum it up basically work as long as you can in the space field, but actually never mind. That's still a valid question. So if a founder 
from another field wants to join the space field and start their own company there, what's the best way? Would you recommend joining a big company like SpaceX or some other smaller startup like OrbitFab or any other startup that works in the space field? Or should they just go for starting a company right away? There is no right answer to that. The right answer is what works for the entrepreneur. So if you feel that uh, you've seen an opportunity, you think that it's a, it's a real opportunity uh, to grow a business and you're ready to jump in, just do it and figure everything out as you go. If you know that this is a field you want to be in but haven't seen the right opportunity yet, then absolutely find a company that uh, that you can learn with that will give you a good reputation it's great to have on the cv uh, that will give you as much exposure as possible to customers and to their problems and that's that's a good place to be um you know i came up through the engineering side of things it is it is still a very technical field the space industry and mm -hmm. most sales are around the performance of technology if you right. if you consider how the computer industry was up until the mid 90s, computer systems were sold based on performance. It was all about the faster chip, the bigger hard drive, everything else. By the time we hit 2000, it was all about the usability. The technology was now becoming far less relevant. And interestingly, you see then Apple, who, you know, they're a design company that sells computers. Design became more important. Usability became more important in the 2000s, and Apple absolutely took off. But until then, they were struggling because it was much more about performance and technology. So right now in the space industry, it's all about performance and technology. And to come in without a deep understanding of technology, you need to have someone on the, on the team who does that. So if you're coming in from another field, find somebody to be a co-founder or, or an early employee who has that, that deep tech understanding and, uh, and then you know, lean on them heavily. That's a, a very important uh, thing to have at this point in the, in the evolution of this industry. Mm -hmm. Right. That's completely, that's exactly how the co-founder should be used, you know, only in them when it comes to the stuff you don't really understand. So definitely take your time to find the co-founders good. And again, conferences, that's a great place to find the co-founder. So definitely I highly recommend conferences, just like Daniel said earlier on. Um, next question, Daniel, for you, you've mentioned on our pre-interview call that you're actually an advisor at Spaced Ventures. So the question is, what does it do? What does it invest in? And what's your role there as an advisor? Yeah, Spaced Ventures is a crowdfunding platform. Um, quite new, just getting off the ground. Uh, it's focused on the space industry. So I think under the CF regulations from the SEC, they can raise up to $5 million for a startup. Though they're also Reg A uh, rules for raising up to, I think, 50 million. Um, I know less about those, but we're looking for you know, small companies that are getting off the ground, pre-seed uh, or seed stage that are looking for checks up to, to $5 million from a crowdfunding platform, which uh, will help companies to, to position themselves for that. We also then do a lot of review of those companies to make sure that we're listing the right companies, uh, ones that we believe have a good chance uh, of success. And so my role there, uh, I'm an advisor. Uh, I also review some of the deal flow that, that comes through. Uh, that's, that's my role at Spaced Ventures. Aaron and Brandt, who are the founders there, are doing all the legwork to build the platform and the technology underneath it, to build the team, to make sure they have good deal flow, to make sure they have a good body of investors. And they come from the investment world, so that for them is probably the easy side. Uh, and to make sure that um, 
that their screening process is uh, you know rigorous so that so that they get the best companies in front of their potential investors nice uh that's really interesting one more question on the space ventures uh so about the screening process specifically so when you're reviewing companies what are the major factors that you're looking at and keep in mind that you know it's the space industry that's that's why i'm repeating that question yeah i would say there's no pixie dust for the space industry it's exactly the same as any industry it's about building a business and what early stage investors can review your business on is your team your market opportunity and your product third that's that's what we're going to be looking for as well you know, a great team with a bad idea will pivot into a good idea when they find one. Um, mm -hmm. A bad team with a good idea will manage to screw it up. So we're looking <laughs> for the team first and foremost. Then we're looking for the size of the market opportunity. Is it big enough so that you can make enough money if you if you manage to succeed that it'll pay back the investors reasonably well and is worth their investment? Uh, and is the pain real enough? Right? Is this something that people are dying to get a solution for? Uh, and that will sell very well if you succeed. Those are mm -hmm. those are the most important things. It does sound like the screening process of any other field, so <laughs> that's good to know. Good to know. Um, also, you mentioned on our pre recall that you are doing some angel investments yourself. So, what do you like to invest in? I like to invest in things that are going to help grow the ecosystem. I mean, my my goal for life is to create the first permanent jobs in, or, in orbit, right? Create the first permanent jobs in space. So I look at the things that we need to make that happen. And it's a huge ecosystem that needs to grow up to, to support that. Uh, I'm especially interested in things that may create new demand, uh, new exports from space. What are we going to sell from space to the billions of people on Earth that they're going to want to consume and use and uh, and how does that how does that come into existence? Because at the moment, that's the biggest thing that we're lacking. So that's what I'm, I'm really excited for. That's what I'm looking for. Nice. That's really interesting. I'm looking for a moment when they're going to start actually exporting a lot of stuff from space to Earth. That will be fun to watch. Um, on this positive and really optimistic note, we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is going to be the call to action. So, Daniel, what is the one thing you want the listener to do? right as the episode is over. I would hope that people listening to this podcast, being entrepreneurs, would look at the space industry as just another industry in terms of how to design your business, right? We are going to be doing big things in this industry. It's a real surge right now, but it needs to be looked at through a business lens. We need good people coming in who can make smart business decisions, who can find new markets and then execute on them. So if you're an entrepreneur, jump in. I'm, I'm happy if you want to reach out to me. Uh, LinkedIn is the best. Uh, but also, if you think you can use fuel in orbit, if you think you can, uh, can leverage some of the satellite servicing technologies in your business, please reach out on that as well, especially interested to help. And, uh, and lastly, I guess we are hiring. We're looking for engineers. We're looking for uh, mechanical engineers who know thermal uh, thermodynamics and fluid mechanics. We're looking for avionics and electrical engineers. Uh, and we're looking for great business people too. So please reach out, check our website, orbitfab.com. And we uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you if you're interested. Perfect, good call to action. I'll make sure to leave all those links in the description of this episode. So if you're interested to talking and talking to Daniel a little bit more, I'll make sure to leave his LinkedIn in the description of this episode. And also I will not forget to leave the link to Space Ventures 
in the description of this episode as well because i personally took a look at their website and it looks really good so if you're in this space if you want some more advice if you need funding definitely check the description of this episode and as usually have a good day